The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Once again, listeners, consumed by my annual passion for baking a pie that I've never tried baking before. As I've mentioned in past seasons, I do take suggestions. So if you have the perfect Thanksgiving pie recipe, send it my way with the one caveat that I am among the weird few who do not like pumpkin pie. I know, I know, subject change. This week's guest is Roderick Scott, a certified floodplain manager and the founder and board chair of the Flood Mitigation Industry Association. He's coming to us from Louisiana, a state that is no stranger to flooding, but he's traveled all around flood-prone areas, say that three times, to advise them on their risks and adaptive solutions. He talks to us about the economic realities of the changing climate, which come with increased flood risks and the potential impacts of a stressed insurance sector on our economy. But he's optimistic and he has a vision for what needs to be done to mitigate that flood risk. So stay tuned, listeners. That conversation with Roderick Scott is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. Ready to bring you a first in seven seasons conversation with Roderick Scott. He is a board director at the Flood Mitigation Industries Association coming to us from Louisiana. Roderick, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Chelsea. Really an honor and a pleasure to be here. So uh, we, I think this is our third episode in a row where our guest came from Bob Inglis and conversations or travels that he's had. So I know that you and Bob had a conversation about flood mitigation and really um, an un- an unspoken and perhaps not very well understood economic impact from climate change that you spend a lot of your time thinking about. That's right. Uh, I've been uh, in the contracting business for over 30 years, uh, working on buildings. It's kind of my canvas. Um, I, uh, I've got the best job in the world. I get paid to help people not flood in their buildings. I can't stop flooding. That's many Pay grades above my <laughs> ability. Uh, flooding is going to happen. The key is not to have flooded buildings. And so um, it's it's really been an incredible journey uh, to, to become involved uh, from repairing flood and fire damaged buildings and historic buildings to actually retrofitting those buildings uh, with projects that prevent those buildings then from flooding into the future. And uh, I happen to live in a community, a coastal, historic coastal Louisiana community that's on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain across from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to take that really long bridge to get to us. Oh, I've been on uh, that long bridge. Yeah. yeah. 25 <laughs> miles, never ending bridge. Um, but we have a five foot seawall in front of our community compared to the 30 foot levees around New Orleans. And so whenever we get a hurricane and that lake gets angry, it's in our front yards. Um, And since, and we've had 17 floods in 17 years, three of those are nine foot surges of water. And we are now over 85% retrofitted with our buildings, 
adapted, elevated the homes, dry flood proofing the commercial buildings. And it took us a week and a half this time to recover from Ida, a nine foot surge of water in my town. I could hardly find sheetrock and possessions on the sidewalk. And wow. normally it's eight foot mountains of people's stuff yeah. and their belongings and pictures and wedding dresses and kids clothes. And not we were back in business because everybody has a generator, even though the power's out after hurricane, mm-hmm. everybody's generating, micro generating their own, their own. Yeah, envelope. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we were cleaned up. It was just green debris this time, alligators, snakes, and, you know, various swamp grasses. And we just cleaned up and we were back in business, except for those few buildings that, still have to undergo the retrofit. And by but, comparison, uh, I think I read with Hurricane Katrina, I mean, it was obviously Katrina, but well, I'm not going to say obviously. Storms hit in different ways and they hit different communities in different ways. Uh, a lot of us are very familiar with those scenes from New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, but the type of cleanups that you had before the retrofitting were significantly different than what you were just saying you experienced in Ida, which was the more recent storm. Right, right. Uh, So over almost 20 years now, we have decided we're going to stay. We're not moving back. Mm. The toilet still works and we get beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And we have a lakefront park that everybody walks their dogs. And we just did the symphony at, at sunset with a full moon for Halloween uh, the other night on the park on the waterfront so we're going to live with the water it, it i say our town is great except for two days a year when it gets stormy um so so we just decided to adapt and now that example has been studied by fema uh there's actually a fema case study for mandeville louisiana if anybody wants to google that but 80 percent of that retrofit was privately funded wow because those buildings were damaged by the hurricanes over 50% of their value. And in the flood zone, if you're over 50% damaged, you have to mitigate your building as part of the rebuilding. And that's where so many communities fall short because there's no real financing mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get into all this discussion of financing. So our our country basically has three to four million of the oldest and remember we settled at the waterfront because we didn't have highways and railroads and right. so we we transported ourselves yeah. on water and we settled <laughs> the waterfront and moved back up the hill um so our country has an estimated three to four million old pre-flood map high flood risk buildings sitting in fema flood zones wow at a closed building i a closed meeting i was invited to in uh may of 2018 spring of 2018 um, I sat in the Treasury building with all the banks and Freddie and Fannie and Treasury and FEMA and NOAA. And they to- the banks told us they believed it was about three or four million buildings as best they can guess because nobody's ever counted their buildings. And uh, they told us that the asset value was $1.5 trillion. So our industry, our flood mitigation industry doesn't talk about the causes of climate change or anything like that. Uh, The bottom line is the climate's changing. The risk is increasing. As a result of risk increasing, insurance is increasing. Uh, Our country is built on a three-legged stool, assets, insurance, and banking. If any one of those legs gets cut off or hampered, you could fall over. Yeah. Um, 
And and some states are seeing the insurance companies leave, right? Like Florida and California states that um, like Louisiana have experienced some of the the more significant ravages from the changing climate. And so what do you do? (laughs) What do you do when when you can no longer get, you can't get a mortgage if you can't get insurance on your home, right? So you have to rent new, new buildings aren't the problem. Right. It's but if you have a mortgage, you're not going to get a new building, right? Because yeah. you're tied up in a mortgage. Yeah. We borrow money from the financial institutions to have our buildings and they give us a long time to pay it off. But there's a, a, a financial term called the loan to value ratio. Yeah. And the banks can only loan us 80% of our property value because they keep that margin above that as a safety valve in case right. you go belly up and right. can't meet your obligations and pay back the financial institution. They'll take your property, sell it. And, and hopefully there's a margin in there for them. Well, the issue now is that, yeah. And yes, Louisiana had five hurricanes in 24 months, four during COVID in 2020, if you can imagine that in the complications of, yes. you know, sheltering in mass and people getting mm-hmm. infected in mass and, uh, and then in 21, we had Ida uh, to cap it off. We had 500,000 claims against property insurance. We had tw- we've had 20 companies go belly up or leave the state. It's called an it's called a hardening of the insurance market, wow. and it is hardening quicker than we ever thought it would. We thought we had 20 years, 30 years, maybe before it got this intense. In two years. Um, it's gotten hard. And, and that's primarily because Florida got hit by multiple hurricanes as well. And they have enormous numbers of these pre-flood map buildings. Yeah. Uh, there are estimates of 600,000 of these older pre-flood map buildings in Florida because of the way they developed. They, they developed on those lagoons, concrete block buildings right on the ground so they can have their boat parked right next to it. Well, you got to retrofit that building or we we're just not going to have them flooding again and again because uh the insurance within 15 years the NFIP the National Flood Insurance Program we've been changing it since Sandy now remember we had Katrina that was huge then Sandy flooded 630,000 buildings in the northeast and all of a sudden the northeast was like oh we know what you're going through down there mm-hmm. and and then the rest of the country said that's enough yeah. We don't need to subsidize these old buildings anymore because every time it floods, they're getting flooded. We're not going to tear down three or four million buildings because we live in a country where we're five million units of housing short already. Yeah. So every building is precious and valuable and viable for housing and commercial interests and, and even our churches and grocery stores. So the deal is, is that We've got a window of time to adapt these buildings. We know how to adapt them. We know how to retrofit them. We've doing it, been doing it for 20 years in this country, elevating and dry flood proofing buildings, um, which is a young industry. We're not, not as old as the automobile or the aircraft yeah. or anything like that. We estimate our industry retrofit of those three or four million buildings is $600 billion dollars which is less than half of the asset value of 1.5 trillion. So it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> my retrofitted homes on the lakefront, which are built in the 1840s, pretty old compared to the East Coast, but mm-hmm. because of our age of settlement, our, you know, my uh, the settlement time periods, 
But those houses are selling at 20 to 30% above asking price. Yeah. Because they're historic, beautiful homes. They've survived all these storms. Now they're retrofitted. They aren't going to flood. Um, they're 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 going to be fine. And we're retrofitting the roofs as well. So the roofs don't blow off. Because once so, you get 10 feet off the ground, you're in a higher wind zone. You better have a roof that stays on that building. Right. Up, I didn't like even think about, about the roof aspect yeah. and the being higher. Yeah. So whole my other, best. Whole other scope of work, whole yeah. other group of <laughs> whole jobs podcast. To <laughs> well, I wanted to touch on the do- jobs aspect because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we hear a lot of people say is we can't afford to, um, to, try to solve climate change. You're not worrying about the solutions or you're just like, we're, we're reacting to a situation and these retrofits, this $600 billion worth of retrofits that have to happen. There are people that have to do that work, right? And you have a shortage, I understand, of people who are trained to do that work currently. Yeah, uh, we've been doing the FEMA elevation grants uh, after disasters and between disasters, the pre-disaster, they call it, which have been 150 maybe 200 a year nationwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is getting into this business. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got to do it in mass. And the Corps of Engineers understands big projects. They've traditionally been in uh, creating dams and locks for the rivers and levee systems and the bigger structural, we call it structural systems. But those take 20, 30 years to install. They cost a lot to maintain. And we're kind of running out of time. Yeah. The element here is the clock is ticking. Or I tell people, remember the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy was trapped in the castle with the mm-hmm. flying monkeys and, and the, and the, the, and the hourglass. hourglass? Yeah. Well, we're down in that lower chamber now. We're not yeah. in the upper chamber. And yeah. you could maybe even see a little divot where that little whirlpool is going to start. So at that meeting in the Treasury Building in 2018, the banks asked us if financing was made available for this, you know, we've got that loan to value ratio cap mm-hmm. thing that if you've got a mortgage, 98% of us have a mortgage, we can't borrow the money. None of this adaptation is inexpensive mm-hmm. and none of it's easy. Yeah. The option is failure. Yeah. I'm not a good failure kind of guy. I got four daughters. We just had our grandbaby eight and nine. And yeah. I've got I've to hand it off to them mm-hmm. like a battleship. We, we're basically recreating these old buildings foundations to survive the onslaught of water, which is very powerful. Water and wind are devastating, but you don't see new buildings blowing away or getting flooded. It's right. all this inventory of low, yeah. low-lying pre-flood and pre-wind standards buildings. So basically, we've been working with the financial institutions to create what's called the Revolving Loan Program for Natural Hazards. Yeah. Uh, so we've got this thing called the STORM Act, which is a revolving loan program. Mm -hmm. First country in the whole globe to start a revolving loan program to finance these retrofits. And it goes for flood, wind, earthquake, and fire. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. And such a good idea. Listeners might um, not be familiar with the concept of revolving loan funds, but we've used them for um, drinking water in many communities. And so you get the loan and then you pay the loan back. Like it's sort of like a um, perpetual loan. Filling up the jar. It keeps filling up the the bowl. And the fact is, is that we've got it as a low interest, long-term loan. Yeah. 
and the banks are not going to oppose that on top of the mortgage right. because they're looking at some serious issues on devaluation right. coming. We should all be concerned about devaluation because remember, our taxes pay for the schools, the roads, the fire, the police, yeah. the government operations, permitting office, uh, public safety. Uh, we have our system is built on property values and property taxes. If these old buildings cost ten thousand dollars a year for flood insurance and ten or fifteen thousand a year for wind insurance, something's going to give, and that's yeah. going to be the values of these properties. And and that's what everybody needs to be concerned about. How how is the core prioritizing where to work? Because uh, my experience with the Army Corps, which came, you know, a few decades ago when I was on Capitol Hill. And I was on the committee, the Environment and Public Works Committee, which had jurisdiction over the Corps, and that was they were my baby. So I did all this, the civil works projects for the Corps, the authorizing legislation, and then we worked with the Appropriations Committee, and there was always a backlog of projects. And then the projects that got funded were the ones, of course, that had Appropriations Committee members. Like, And one thing that my boss at the time was trying to do was like, we need a real prioritization system for Army Corps projects that just isn't based on your seniority on the Appropriations Committee. It has to be based on the needs in, in your community. So I'm glad to hear the Corps shifting away from its more like traditional missions, but there also has to be a way to make sure that they're getting to the spots like the most vulnerable spots. We need a national conversation. We need uh, both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. because flooding does not know parties. It sure does. It's not. it's yeah. nonpartisan, and we've got blue states and red states that are flooding blue towns and red towns, yeah. and it's increasing. And the damages are getting to the point where the insurance has got to rise to meet the yeah. risk, and and so we're. We're a train going 100 miles an hour through the tunnel, and there's supposed to be a bridge on the other side of the tunnel, and we better make sure that's built. Because our children will look at us and really have some serious words for us if we don't get this issue fixed. Uh, We can debate all we want about who caused climate change and how do we fix it and whatever. Right now, (laughs) all I want to do is get the buildings so we can live in them because- The climate's changing and we can't yeah. live in these old buildings if yeah. we do. And the old buildings are 68, 70% of our inventory of buildings in this country. Yeah. We're not we're not in a brand new building boom rage right now. We got to protect right. our asset. We just met with the uh the two committees that are doing the core yeah. uh last week. Um uh, of course in the house it's Republican led. They had never really heard of our industry. So all of a sudden we've been asked to be a stakeholder in the next yeah. Uh, WERDA, uh, which is the Water Resources like, Development, Development Act. Act. Yep. We're, we've been asked to provide testimony and maybe come to the Hill and whatever. Um, uh, and on the Democratic side, on the Senate side, we've got the Environment and Public Works Committee. And yeah. so um, we're we're in that education mode now because yeah. the Flood Mitigation Industry Association, of which I'm the board chairman, is a 501c3. It's a nonprofit association not to push the member companies, but to educate government at all levels, educate the public, and get communities flood resilient. Simple, simple, huge mountain to climb. We're going to do it because I got nine grandbabies coming in. We're very enth- we're very encouraged by the way things are going. So the Corps of Engineers projects are really those that are bubbling up 
They're, yeah. they're, they're cream rising to the top. Mm-hmm. So we've got a project at the end of the South shore of Long Island, out mm-hmm. in Suffolk County, 4,000 buildings, right. elevations, dry flood proofing of non-residential buildings, yeah. 4,000, wow. not a couple of hundred like yeah. FEMA projects. Right. The Southern end of New Jersey you can't protect it. It's all wetlands. It's barrier mm-hmm. islands. Yeah. They're going to elevate and dry flood proof over 18,000 structures in there. But they also told everybody that you still have 192,000 at risk buildings mm-hmm. where they aren't fixing them. They're just going to put enclosures at the barrier islands so the surge doesn't come in, mm-hmm. but that doesn't get them certified for FEMA. You know, Florida, uh, Florida's number one with 600,000. Mm-hmm. New Jersey has 400,000. New York has 400,000. Mm-hmm. Texas has 300,000. We get on this. So so we've got all these projects bubbling up. State of Louisiana has three now along the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no more levees from Morgan City to the Texas coast. They're, they're just not going to be levee protected. So we're going to go in and elevate buildings. So we got a thousand in there. How about Norfolk and Hampton Roads? The most strategic region of Mm -hmm. our nation, the largest naval base in the world, Naval Station Norfolk, and and they are extremely vulnerable. Um, We build submarines and aircraft carriers there. We've got our next aircraft carrier uh, finishing up. We got two of those new aircraft carriers deployed right now to the Middle East, and we can't afford to flood Hampton Roads. Hampton Roads has... 20,000 of these buildings before you even talk about the military installations, just civilian side. Uh, They will flood if they get another big hurricane in there. uh, Norfolk has 4,000 buildings scheduled. We don't have the workforce in there. We we hire every trade. When we work, foundation companies, carpenters, masons, electricians, plumbers, air conditioning, heating people, all the trades work. And then we have to have a set of construction plans. So you got architects Mm -hmm. and structural engineers that are making the construction plans for us. And then you got project management people. This is, this is the moonshot of this generation. When president Kennedy said, we're going to the moon and, and we were walking on the moon in 10 years Mm -hmm. and we built Stennis to build the rocket ships and we built uh, test the motors. And in Mississippi, we built Mishu over here in in New Orleans to assemble the rockets and, and Houston with the space center. We built the way to that. And that's what our goal is, is to build a moonshot type program within 10 years to, uh, to get these assets. It's a great time to be doing this and to realize that everyone's starting to realize that, you know, the climate change is one thing, but mm-hmm. how do we adapt? Yeah. And if we adapt, then we hand it off to our kids. If we don't adapt, we kind of hand them off an S show. And I'm not into S shows at all. Yeah. I'm into yeah. stability and business and uh, private sector and working with our nonprofit sector friends. And um, that's how we're going to do it. And I'm just so excited that you have this program that communicates with the conservative Republican side of the aisle about this issue, because it's real. And don't put your head in the sand because Mm -hmm. you're really just hurting your children and your grandchildren. Can you imagine if a hurricane hits Norfolk? No. No, the no, the yeah. the leaders of the world that we're competing against in Russia yeah. and China mm-hmm. would be elated yes. that we couldn't operate yes. out of Norfolk. And yes. that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. We're going to fix it. 
Roderick, I'm going to check back in with you in a couple of years and see how things are going, because I think this is really fascinating. It's not often we get to talk to somebody who's really got their finger on the pulse of the adaptation side and the adaptation on the infra of infrastructure in particular, we need homes to live in. And as you said, there's a shortage. And so finding ways to protect these older buildings and retrofit them. My best friend from college, I'm sure that I've said this on the program before, so bear with me, longtime listeners, but she and her husband live in Philly, bought their dream house on Long Beach, uh, uh, yes, Long Beach Island, LBI, New Jersey. Uh, it was just a little shack of a home. It had been under foreclosure. They had long vacationed at LBI, brought me on vacation with them a few times. They closed on their property two days before Superstorm Sandy. Did it survive? Nope. Okay. <laughs> but they then, you know, were like, okay, they're very practical people, right? So they're like, it did the reno for us. They always knew they were going to have to do some renovation because it was kind of a shack and they had a growing family and stuff, but they did the, you know, they built up so that that's what they had to do. So all, to, yeah. and all the homes there now have to have a 14 foot wash away floor and then, uh, and it's crazy. I've been visiting, I've been vacationing there with her since before my older one was born and he's 22 and you walk around now and it's so like, it used to be these little tiny cottages right at, you know, ground level and everything's up now. Everything's mm -hmm. up. So you can tell there's no new build that is ground level. Everything is up. And then people are retrofitting. If they want to expand, they have to go up. They have to lift up. So it's been really fascinating to see. And I love progress. So this is the the way we're going to protect ourselves and our families. And I wish you best of luck getting these grants and um, putting people to work to help us uh, survive climate change. Great. Uh, look forward to talking with you again. We'll keep you up to date on our progress as an industry. And and thank you uh, for uh, Republican and their efforts here to spread this communication outwards. Are you a young conservative who's passionate about the environment? Introducing Green Tea Party Radio, the show that blends conservative solutions with environmental advocacy. Hey there, I'm Hannah. And I'm Zach. I'm Katie. Join us every week as we discuss how conservatives can champion energy independence, tackle climate change, and create clean energy sector jobs, all while staying true to our values. Get ready to pour the tea and join the Green Tea Party. Tune in and engage with thought-provoking discussions that matter to you. Subscribe today and visit greenteapartyradio.com for more information. All right, as we begin to wrap up here on this episode of the Eco Right Speaks, I'm Price Atkinson, Chelsea Henderson bringing you that interview with Roderick Scott from the Flood Mitigation Industry Association. I certainly learned something more than one thing. I learned several things there in that uh, that great interview with Roderick Scott. Appreciate him joining Chelsea this week, and Chelsea will certainly be back once again next week for your listening pleasure with another great guest. But until then, I want to shout out some new members who have signed up to stand with us this week. Matt Max S. in Montana, Marie H. in Oregon, Mark K. in Nevada, Patricia B. in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and Cindy B. in Georgia. Appreciate everybody, uh, including many others who signed up to stand with us that we didn't read off. We usually pick five at random. Those are the five uh, this week. So appreciate uh, Max, Marie, Mark, Patricia, Cindy, and everybody else who is uh, now standing with us, which you can do online at republican.org forward slash join. 
And it is very, very simple, easy to do. Takes mere seconds uh, to sign up there. Again, republican.org forward slash join. As we begin to wrap up, not just only this episode, 2023, if you've got an event that you're interested in, I want to hear from you because we would love to partner with you all, uh, whether it's at the end of this year or, you know, sometime in 2024, we're starting to get things uh, on the calendar for 2024. Drop me a line, price at republican.org. Uh, and let me know. Let me know what you got, uh, how we can help, uh, how we can you know, play a role, if we can get our executive director, Bob Inglis, somebody else from our team, to participate in what you've got going. I'd love to hear from you, especially if it's an event with a group that's right of center because they're the ones that are the indispensable partner for action, uh, and that's the eco-right And we will continue on again next week as we bring you episodes every single Tuesday. We will do so between now and the end of the year. Do not worry. we got a lot more in store for the month of November and certainly December. And we'll have our best of as we wrap up around the Christmas holidays before bringing you a new season next year. Uh, But again, Tuesdays, that's the drop day for new episodes. You can download, listen, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Spreaker, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, hit that subscribe button right there and you can have a new episode of the Eco Right Speaks delivered to you on Tuesdays. But that is going to do it for us here on this episode. Appreciate it. Everybody taking the time and investing a little bit of, uh, you know, 30 minutes or so every single week uh, to listen to the Eco Right Speaks and the interviews we bring in. You can go back and listen to past interviews. Uh, they stand the test of time, evergreen content. You just go back on our website if you want. Uh, easy to find a running list right there uh, at republican.org forward slash podcast. But until next week, have a great week, weekend, night, day, wherever it is you are, and we will talk to you again. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.